365 days ago, our family, newly minted family of four, packed up all of our stuff in a U-Haul truck and moved from the town of Winston-Salem, city of Winston-Salem, to the big town of LaGrange. That was one year ago exactly today. Um, and we, that was not an applause line. Did you put applause up there? I didn't see it. No, we, we became a part of this church a year ago, um, and we are so thankful uh, for the year that we've had. Uh, we did not plan for me to be speaking uh, on exactly one year ago. Um, God just worked it out that way, um, and we are very happy uh, to be here. Um, we've had a great year serving with you guys. Uh, of course, here's a couple of these pictures with the teenagers uh, and the kids on Junior Trek. Uh, if you go in my office, there on the left, you see a big bulletin board uh, with tons of pictures um, of us uh, with all of the kids and teens, uh, and we love it. Uh, we love serving with you guys. I saw you know, the, the lovely Facebook feature of, you know, on this day, you know, what did you post? And I get to see all the dumb things I said when I was a teenager. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we saw what, what I wrote 365 days ago, uh, talking about the welcome that we had from you guys helping us move in. Uh, it was awesome. Um, and and we, we still love it here. We still feel welcomed. We are so very thankful to be part of this church. Um, and, of course, we are very thankful uh, to be... <laughs> Uh, serving with this guy. Uh, um, I'm just going to let that play in a loop behind me. I'm sorry, Jeremy, or Jeremy, I got to look at the camera. He knew I was going to put this up there, though. Uh, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy's watching from home, still keeping his leg up. At least I hope you're keeping your leg up. Faith, make sure his leg is up. Um, he's not trying to run around like playing basketball. But um, we're very thankful to be serving with Pastor Jeremy. Uh, you guys keep Keep praying for him and his recovery, um, but we could not um, think of a better pastor to be serving under. <laughs> I'm going to put that away now because everybody keeps laughing at it. We could not be serving under uh, a better pastor. Um, so, Pastor Jeremy, thank you for your leadership, uh, your mentorship, and most of all, your friendship uh, in my life. I know Jessica echoes that as well. Um, we're very thankful to be here with you guys. Um, and it, it makes a huge difference um, when you're serving with, with people like you guys. So we, we love it. Um, anyway, I was not planning on doing that. <laughs> um, I should put this back up <laughs> so that everybody can laugh at him. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeremy. Anyway, I was tasked with the... Um, the responsibility of, of sharing uh, a vision sermon, Jeremy's got all of us going through our, our vision um, for the church and the areas that we serve in. Um, Jeremy obviously had his vision Sunday part one, uh, was hoping to finish that on a Wednesday and then another Wednesday and God had other plans. Uh, Pastor Dean um, shared about missions last week. Uh, so today it is my responsibility to share with you guys a, a vision uh, for the youth ministry in the church, um, youth covering everything from, you know, teenagers, what we normally think of as youth, all the way down to, to kids. 
Um, and I was thinking about it, I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, the vision's not really any different than the church, right? I mean, teenagers are still people, too. Sometimes they act like aliens, but they, they're people, too. Um, so the, the vision's the same, right? So today we're just going to go into this, but to kind of set the stage, right? We, we use in church, right, we use a lot of phrases all the time. Uh, and we do this in normal conversation, like we use a bunch of phrases that... Um, uh, we don't stop to define. So if somebody like comes in and they're new or like you move from the north to the south or the south to the north and you hear these phrases and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Okay, things like uh, a perfect storm, right? We just use that every once in a while, but we don't actually explain, you know, we just assume everybody knows what it means. Um, don't beat around the bush, okay, would be another one. Kind of these idioms that we use in English. Um, I was reading through a bunch of these that, that made me giggle a little bit. But uh, he's got a burr in his saddle, right? You guys, has anybody ever used that one? He's got a burr in his saddle? Okay, good. It's a generally, generational thing. Uh, one I said to the teenagers yesterday when we were working, you think you're all that in a bag of chips, right? Has anybody used that one? I did yesterday. Thank you, Dr. Shook. Okay, um, this is one um, guy I worked with used to say this. Uh, he said, I'm so hungry my stomach's gnawing on my backbone. Has anybody ever heard that one? Miss Anita's shaking her head. Okay, so, so hungry, my stomach's gnawing on my backbone. Um, running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Okay, yes, obviously. Okay, here's another, this one's German, okay? And this is one of those that, again, you don't really explain, okay? Ich verstehe nur Bahnhof. Okay, which if you directly translate that, it means I only understand train station. But what you're saying is I'm confused and I don't really understand what you're trying to tell me, right? So I'm only understanding that you're saying train station. That's the only part. So anyway, you, you, we've got these idioms that just don't make sense when you actually think about it. Like, I only understand train station. But we just use them all the time. So in the church, we do that too. And if you hang around um, the church long enough, you talk about ministry long enough, we're going to use some phrases, especially here at CBC, to talk about the ministry that we do. Um, and you might hear that and you understand it, but we never stop to actually explain it and define it. So I want to do that uh, today. And maybe you've not heard us say these before, and that's okay. Um, but there's some phrases that I want to define and tell you the biblical principles behind them and how it relates to the ministry, specifically in our youth ministry, the ministry that we do. Okay? So the very first one is we feed the 5,000. Okay? We feed the 5,000. You guys know the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Well, let's flip there, okay, um, to the book of John, chapter 6. Book of John, chapter 6. Okay, there's multiple recordings of this. Actually, it's the only miracle outside of the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. But I specifically want us to go to John, chapter 6, and read this account of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, because where it goes afterwards will be our next phrase. But here in John chapter 6, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said to this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had their eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. All right, so we... we know this story, okay? The feeding of the 5,000 and the point tonight or this morning is not to, you know, dive into this and dissect it and all that. There's plenty of sermons you can go. I'm sure you can check our online archives uh, on our website and, and hear different sermons uh, about feeding of the 5,000, where it's mentioned, all that stuff. I specifically want us to look at this, okay, from the perspective of ministry, feeding the 5,000. Um, and, and what's important here is that Jesus, you know, he's doing his miracle. And if you're reading along in the Word of Life Quiet Time, we just finished this account in Matthew yesterday, I think, is when we had it. Um, but you see Jesus' progression of he's doing these miracles, he's doing these signs, he's doing all of these things. And really, he's doing them all to share the gospel, to present himself as the Messiah. And Matthew really clearly makes that um, makes that point of, of him doing these miracles. But here, with the feeding of the 5,000, he's out, people are following him, he's got this huge crowd, okay, 5,000 men plus women and children, right? It specifically says in other passages where it's, it's re- recounting this story. But the thing I want us to look at is that Jesus was standing there, he looks out, right, and he has compassion. He sees 5,000 men with their families, following him out in the middle of nowhere, and they're hungry. Um, So with the feeding of the 5,000, the biggest point is that Jesus saw a physical need and he wanted to meet it, right? He had compassion, he saw that physical need, and he wanted to meet that. In 1 John, John kind of talks about this a little bit. He says in 1 John 3, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So really, I, I like to tell people, if you want to know what love is, right, you teach teenagers like, hey, don't, you know, don't think of love, what the world gives us in that picture, the, the picture of, you know, two people and they fall in love, right? If you're on the marriage retreat, we, we listened to that sermon where he's talking about, you know, the Cupid shooting you with the arrow and, you know, you fall in love, right? That's not love, okay? It's not an emotion or anything like that. Love really, according to this verse in 1 John, is meeting people's needs, That's what love is. That's how we show and we demonstrate love. If you want to know somebody loves you, it's that they're going to be meeting your needs, right? John says, if you've got the world's goods and you see somebody in need and you're not helping them, how can you say you've got God's love, right? 
because God was willing to send his son to die for us. That's how we know love. Um, when I first really uh, understood that concept and grasped it, okay, I was in college. Um, I w- went to college in upstate New York. Uh, right now, um, there at Word of Life, it's their first weekend of snow camp. They're wrapping it up this morning with their last uh, service, and it's, it's eight weeks, you know, up in the mountains, upstate New York, freezing cold. You go outside, and your eyes water, and then your eyelashes freeze shut. Okay, that's how cold it is um, all the time during the whole winter. Um, so I was up there, and, and North Carolina boy had gone up there before, you know, for the fall, and it had already started getting cold. It had snowed once before I came home at Thanksgiving, all of this stuff. Okay, so I was cold. I knew I needed a scarf, and I knew I needed, you know, warm clothes and stuff. So I told my mom, and at the time, my girlfriend, okay, Jessica, I need a scarf because I'm freezing. Um, so I just told them that. And then uh, somewhere along the line, that first semester, my watch broke, and it wasn't working anymore. And so I had just mentioned offhand, you know, hey, my watch broke, right? So I go home for Christmas, getting ready to go back up for winter, for snow camp, knowing what's ahead of me, the freezing cold, your eyelashes freezing, all of this stuff, okay? Um, and Christmas morning, I get there, I, unop- you know, I unwrap my packages, and for my mom, under the tree, I had two presents. One, I open it, it's a scarf, yay, you know, mom made me a scarf, she crocheted it, it's awesome, right? Which southern men are like, man, that's a wussy, you know, wearing a scarf, right? Just <laughs> go up to New York and you will put a scarf on, I promise, okay? So... I was like, yes, I was so excited because it was freezing cold, okay? Open the next package, <gasps> a watch, this is awesome, right? I had two things I needed, my mom loves me, she's got my back, right? Okay, so then that afternoon, uh, my girlfriend comes over, okay, Jessica. So she comes over, we, you know, exchange gifts, and it's awkward because we're, you know, she's, you know, we're teenagers still, and family's all around watching us open, okay? And I open my first package, <gasps> a scarf, okay? She had also crocheted me a scarf. And then, oh, the second package I go, and I open it, (gasps) a watch! And so Jessica had gotten me the exact same thing my mom had gotten me, right? Both of these ladies I know love me, right? And I knew that beforehand, but both of them saw a need, right? I had not put this on my Christmas list, okay? But they both saw a need, and they met that need because they love me. So we, as believers can mimic Jesus. Jesus saw a physical need. These people, 5,000 men with their families were hungry. That's a physical need. And so Jesus met that need. He had the ability to meet it. And so he met it, right? We, as Christians, when we have the ability to meet somebody's need, we should do that, right? So we have events around here where we do that, where we meet people's needs, But the most important need that anybody has is the gospel, right? It's not just the physical needs that we're meeting from people. It's their spiritual needs. The greatest need is the gospel. So when we do events, we want to reach out to people. We want to meet their needs, their physical needs, but we're going to do that in a way that we can also then share the gospel and meet their greatest need, the gospel. So when we, when we share the gospel, when we feed the 5,000, like we say, we're opening it up. Everybody, anybody, we want anybody who's willing to come 
Come to our event. It's going to be fun. We're going to meet your need of having fun. We're going to meet your need of fellowship. We're going to meet your you know, physical needs. Sometimes we literally, it feels like we feed the 5,000. Okay? You guys remember Missions Week? It was only like six months ago. You remember how many people we came, came out for you know, feeding the town and, and all of the, the, the pig picking? That was great. Still think about that sometimes, okay? The pig picking, we think of, you know, the people that came for hot dogs, the movie night. It was great. That was a feeding the 5,000 event, right? If you were reading in your quiet time, uh, the Word of Life quiet time, when uh, in the commentary on this passage, Dr. Wicks, um, who is a professor with Word of Life at the college, said this, Jesus fed the whole 5,000. He did not try to determine whether there were any people with questionable motives hiding in the crowd. He recognized that a free salvation was to be freely offered to everyone who is interested. So that's what we do around here. We feed the 5,000. We're going to have one of those events coming up with Super Bowl, right? We're going to have food there, right? We're going to invite anybody that wants to come, play flag football, eat food with us, watch the Super Bowl. It's going to be great. It's open. Anybody that wants to come, come on out, have fun. But we're going to share the gospel because we know that that's their greatest need. Um, and with the teenagers, right? You know, because this is youth, right? The teenagers do that too. We do different things. We do fun things where we, you know, just invite people out and come, you know, connect with us, have fun. We'll do these fun, big open events, back to school blasts, right? We, in the spring, I'm hoping to do a fast car event, which is like you know, little matchbox cars you race down a track. I think we've done one here before. Um, but that's, you know, a fun event with the purpose of sharing the gospel. So what I want to do as we go through each of these points here is I want to share with you guys how you as adults can get involved with these types of ministries. So when the feeding the 5,000, how can you get involved? Um, well, one thing is bring food, okay? Sunday, next Sunday, you've got an opportunity, right? When, if we're literally feeding 5,000 people, we need a lot of food, right? So by bringing food, you participate in these ministries by, by providing food to meet physical needs. Um, another thing is you can invite your neighbors and coworkers to come out, right? Invite their kids to come out. If we're having a youth event, you know, even if you're not directly involved, it's a great time, right? You know, we've done that, Lagos and Lego, Upward. We say, hey, take flyers, hand them out. If your coworkers got friend, you know, children, children in your neighborhood, whatever, Invite people, because if they don't know about it, they can't come, right? Um, share the post on Facebook. It's really easy. A little share button at the bottom, okay, if you have Facebook. Um, another thing, uh, we go to camp. Um, this year, the teenagers are going to camp. Um, every other year, we rotate. So this is a camp year for our teens. Um, and camp is a big evangelistic opportunity, right? Uh, but it costs a lot of money to go to camp, right? And if there's an unsaved kid... I doubt that they're going to shell out the money to go to a Christian camp. They know it's going to be fun. We'll show the videos and all that stuff. Um, we're going up to the Word of Life Island um, in New York. And that's a lot of money. So we'll do fundraisers and, and we, we try and help them out, things like that. But there potentially is an opportunity for you to sponsor a kid to go to camp, right? If you don't have kids of your own and you'd like to do that, I know we've had people do that before. It is a huge help if somebody doesn't have to pay. That's one less hurdle for them to get to camp and hear the gospel. Because I can promise you, when we go to camp, they're hearing the gospel like five or six times over the course of that week, and who knows how many times from their counselor. So that is a big opportunity. Um, but then you can just volunteer to help in any way, 
You know, if we're having uh, big events, we're going to need help. One that the teenagers don't even know about yet, so this is a big announcement for them. Okay, in, in March, we're going to do uh, Ultimate Clue. Uh, which is we will turn the church building into like the board game clue. You're trying to figure out who did it, you know, and, and all that stuff. We're going to need some volunteers to help staff this and act out the characters and stuff. It's a great game. I've done this before. Did this in Germany, um, which is awesome with German kids trying to speak English at English camp and figure out who killed somebody. It's totally morbid, but it's awesome. Um, so this is an opportunity, okay? Mark your calendars. You can help with that. We need people from the church, you know? We've got awesome youth leaders that help with stuff like this every week um, and any time we have the big events. Um, but the rest of the church can get involved, okay? So don't say you didn't know about it. I just announced it, okay? But I'll get more information about this later. So that is how you can get involved, feeding the 5,000. We've got these events, and you can participate, and you can even by just bringing chili to the Super Bowl party, you are helping give an opportunity to share the gospel with our community, feeding the 5,000. So after we feed the 5,000, the next thing, why I wanted us to go to John, is we go to the other side of the lake. We feed the 5,000, and then we go to the other side of the lake. Um, and that's exactly what happened in this story. Okay, you know, if you, you're looking here, you look at little headings in these sections, you see Jesus feeds the 5,000. Right? Then we know the story of Jesus walking on water. He sent his disciples away. He went off to pray. There was a storm. He walked on water. We know that story, okay? But then we're interested in what happens when we get to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. So jump down a couple paragraphs. Look in John chapter 6, verse 25, okay? And we're going we're gonna to get bits and pieces at a time here uh, going through the rest of the chapter. It's 75 or 71 verses. I promise we won't read them all. But let's get bits and pieces here. Start in verse 25. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, this is the people he just fed, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to, inter to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So here Jesus really is taking that opportunity and turning it to the gospel. Okay? So we had our Feeding the 5,000 event. Right? Jesus was there teaching. He shared the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom there. He's, he's preaching that. And here he goes to the other side of the lake. They follow him, and they're wanting more food. We're going to see that in a second, is what they really want. Um, but he's taking that chance to turn it to the gospel. And this is where it's starting to get clear, okay? We understand they're not really just here because they think Jesus is the Messiah and all that. They're here because they're hungry and they want physical food. Look at verse 30 says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? As if feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish wasn't enough of a sign. But anyway, um, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? So here they, they want this sign. They're asking him, do a sign, do another miracle, right? And he's, he says, no, you've, you've got that sign, right? And he's, he's teaching them now. He's teaching them. And he gets into the doctrine of what we need to believe and understand, right? He's starting to go deep into that teaching. He says, I am the bread of life. Right? He's trying to turn their attention away from the physical, away from the temporal, to the eternal. Now skip down a couple paragraphs to verse 52. It says, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Right? So here it's starting to get interesting. He's using analogies, right? He's saying his body and his blood, right? You've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He's using an analogy, right? He did this with the, you know, throughout his teaching. He used parables and all that. And what he was doing, what it tells us in, in Matthew, is he was doing this so that those who had ears to hear, those who were willing to listen and understand and dig into, you know, the Scripture, to put it another way, that they would understand and they would, you know, be involved. But the people that were just there for the, you know, food, fun, and fellowship, to say it a Baptist way, they would not be interested anymore. So he's teaching these hard things, these deep things, to try and weed out a little bit. He was like, hey, you know what, if you're here... We need to understand doctrine, and it's important to understand this doctrine. So he starts teaching them, and he keeps going into these things. And eventually, if you go to verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they say, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no man can come unto me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So from 5,000 that were fed on the previous day, only 12 remained through the hard teaching. And here at, at Community, we do that. We've got big events and it's fun and, and we've got food and we share the gospel. But we don't just leave it at food, fun, and fellowship. We don't leave it at fluff, right? We go deep. And if you've been here through this study of Hebrews, you know how deep Pastor Jeremy can go on Sunday morning. And in our youth ministries, that's our goal too. Sunday night, 
we get out there and we go deep into doctrine. Tonight, we're starting a study on angels and demons, right? Four weeks, we're going to be studying the doctrine of angels and demons. And there's people that, you know, they'll come for, you know, food and fun and, and feeding of the 5,000, but only somebody who is, truly believes and wants to be there is going to sit through doctrine teaching. And that's what we want to do. We want to challenge people. We don't want to, all of us, even myself, I want to be challenged in my faith to go deeper. We're not content just staying up on the surface. So we do feed the 5,000. We do these things, but then we go deep. We even teach doctrine to our kids, right? The little kids in children's church, they're getting doctrine through the curriculum that we teach there. If you were here on Wednesday night, you, you uh, heard that you know, video that we watched talking about um, teaching doctrine to children and challenging them, right? So how can you get involved in that? How can you get involved in that? Um, first of all, you can pray, right? Pray for the teachers that teach the children, and the teenagers as they prepare, as they, as they work uh, through this stuff themselves to teach our children and our teenagers doctrine. You can, you can pray for them. Uh, you yourself can volunteer for Sunday school, children's church, nursery, um, especially children's church and nursery. I have up there the fourth Wednesday of the month, we need help in children's church. And the third Wednesday of the month, uh, in nursery, and there's three different Sunday nights that we need a second person in there. Because when our kids are in Awana, there's a lot of families that come, and nursery gets overrun some Wednesday nights, or yeah, Sunday nights, with, with people, and we need lots of workers. So volunteer to help, right? Because then you can, even just holding a baby, you're helping parents, you're helping older siblings be in God's Word and be in our deep doctrinal teaching that we teach even to kids. Um, another thing, I said this before, sponsor a kid to go to camp, right? Because at camp, they don't just limit it to the gospel. They go deep with the kids at camp. Um, so if there's a kid who, who can't pay it, when we'll, you know, we try and help them out as best we can, and you could be a part of that. Um, or you could become a, a youth leader. We've got great youth leaders. The Quins help us out on Sunday nights. Uh, Sue Crane helps us out on Sunday nights. My wife and I are in there. Uh, but if you notice, all of those, um, you know, Jessica and I, the Quins, you know, we're kind of the younger end, millennials, woohoo, okay? Sue's about the age of some of the teenager's parents. In fact, she has a teenager in there. One generation that it seems like we're missing is the older generation, right? I love to see a mix with the youth leaders. You think, I can't play basketball with them. Well, that's all right. You don't, I don't play basketball because I can't. I just, it's bad, okay? But... <laughs> With, with our older generation, we want you guys to be involved with the teenagers too, right? They need somebody who's an older brother. They need parents and they need grandparents spiritually pouring into their lives, right? So we could use more youth leaders and you can volunteer to help lead a small group, be in there in youth, in youth group, things like that. So that is a big way you can get involved with helping us take these kids from feeding the 5,000 where they come in and accept Christ as their Savior and make that transition to being disciples and, and studying and learning. The last phrase um, I want to share with you is one, uh, Jeremy mentioned it uh, in his visionary sermon, okay? Uh, it's one that I heard from Mike Calhoun, uh, who is now a, a pastor over at Summit Church in Raleigh uh, or Durham. But it is uh, insulate, 
Don't isolate. You might hear me say that sometimes. Jeremy said it here on Sunday morning. Insulate, don't isolate. Those of you that know um, about insulating your pipes, okay, and some of you may have found out the last month that some of your pipes were not insulated, but we know what happens, right? When it's cold and your pipes aren't insulated, they freeze and then they bust and then you get water all over the place and it's not a good thing, right? Um, we understand insulation. We're very thankful that our building is insulated so that when we run the heater, it stays warm and, you know, all of these things. Okay, we understand that. Insulate. We don't want to isolate. And this is kind of that philosophy we take with our children in youth ministry. Uh, another way you guys might have heard it before, has anybody heard uh, somebody say, be in the world but not of the world? You guys heard that? Okay, you're shaking your head. Yeah, be in the world but not of the world. That's one of those phrases that we uh, sometimes take out of context. That actually comes, again, from the book of John. If you flip over to chapter 17, John chapter 17, be in the world but not of the world. In John chapter 17, Jesus is preparing uh, to go to the cross, and he, he prays a prayer on his way to Gethsemane uh, with his disciples, right, knowing what's coming ahead, and he prays a prayer. We, we know it as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer. And here in John 17, part of his prayer, I just want to look at, at a couple verses here. Look at verse 14. Jesus is praying. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you set me, sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, and they also may be sanctified in truth. So what he's praying here, he, he understands. Okay, Jesus understands. He was in the world. And a lot of times we think of in the world but not of the world, meaning I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm in the world, but I'm going to isolate myself, Right? so that I don't sin and I don't act like the world and all that stuff, okay? That's the way we take it a lot of times. But Jesus, if you read this prayer, He's saying, yeah, we're not in, we're not of the world, right? He says the world hates us, right? We act differently, right? We're not of the world. We act differently. As believers, we need to act differently. There needs to be something different about us. Right? In, in youth group, we just finished a four-week series on sin and winning over sin. So we want to teach our children to win over sin. They need to act differently because God has called us to do that. So we're not of the world, right? The world hates us because it's ruled by Satan. But too often our main focus is on putting up walls and isolating ourselves and staying away from the world and its influences. And, you know, none of those things are bad necessarily, but we don't want to isolate ourselves, right? Jesus' prayer here is that He prays for God to keep us from the evil one. So what we need to be doing is insulating our kids from the world's way of thinking, right? The world's system, the way they think, the way they reason, all of those things, 
We need to insulate our kids so that just like a pipe, when it gets cold, they don't freeze and bust. One of the things on Wednesday night um, in that, that video we watched, he was talking about so often we, we teach these biblical principles and they're good and they're kind of surfacey. And then when a kid becomes a high schooler or a college student, they haven't really tackled the hard questions or, or fought with, wrestled with some of these ideas, some of these doctrines. And so when they get older and the questions and bombardment of the world's way of thinking comes at them, they have their feet knocked out from under them. But what we need to be doing is in our teaching, in our discipleship, we're insulating our kids so that they're prepared. And when, when the world starts to freeze around them, they don't bust, blow up. So we need to insulate them. And this is, this is great. There are so many different passages that talk about this and discipleship. And I don't want to steal any thunder from Jeremy on, on part two of his visionary sermon. Right? But if you were in the Titus study on Wednesday night, they talked about the older men and women teaching the younger men and women. Um, in Philippians, it talks about us being blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Right? We're in a crooked and twisted generation. And so we need to be prepared for these things that bombard us. We need to be training them and teaching our children our kids, our teenagers, how to react when they're faced with what comes at them in the world. Um, I knew a missionary, uh, which if, you're in, if you've ever traveled to Europe, you know they're way more loose with things than we are here in America. Um, and, and this missionary tried to help me right, get used to the culture when I was brand new in country. Uh, and he, he would, we'd be driving through town and he'd point out advertisements, right? And he'd be like, oh, see, look at that sign. Yeah, you shouldn't look at that. I'm like, Whoa. because they'd have, you know, full nudity on advertisements and stuff. Like, you wouldn't see that in America, you know, just out on the street, pasted on a, you know, lamppost. But he'd be like, see there, see there. Yeah, you just got to get used to it, right? Well, we're not trying to, in some ways, inoculate, right? You think of a vaccine, expose them to it and they'll be okay. Well, no, we want to insulate them and teach them how to react, so that as we're going, you know, instead of pointing out bad things, we, we cover their eyes and push them away, right? You know, hey, when it's summer, sometimes boys are going to have to walk with your eyes facing the sidewalk, you know, so you don't trip over anything or trip, stumble the other way, right? So we can teach them as we're walking through life, we can walk it with them and teach them. They can see us as we react to situations that happen in real life. We can teach them how to react and how to respond as a Christian, we don't isolate them, right? We don't purposefully expose them and say, see, see you're okay, just ignore it. But we, we teach them how to respond as we're going through life. Um, we teach them God's word, God's way of thinking. There in his prayer, Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth, right? That's why we have our kids and our teenagers memorize God's word, Right? They're, they're hiding God's Word in their heart. They're memorizing it so that their way of thinking, their mind is renewed, is how Paul puts it. Their mind is renewed in their way of thinking. But here it says we're not of the world, but we're sent into the world, is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I was sent into the world, and I'm sending them just like you sent me. Right? We can't expect the world to come to us. 
too often we just expect inviting somebody to church is good enough. But people aren't going to come to church as much. You know, praise the Lord when they do. Praise the Lord when they come to our Feeding the 5,000 events, right? But we can't expect that to be good enough. We're sent out into the world. And so we want to do that with our children. In Matthew, Jesus says, we're the salt and light, right? Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We're called to be salt and light. And you can read commentaries and see how they take things differently here. Uh, but the idea is the same, right? Salt, right, whether it's, you know, a preservative or whether it's, you know, in food and causes people to be thirsty, to want what you have, however you take that, that verse, the point's the same. If you're not different... If we're not different, if our teens and our kids are not different, people won't notice a difference because there is none. And they won't want the gospel because it makes no difference, right? Light, if we isolate ourselves and build walls and we're not out in the world interacting with unbelievers, then they can't see our light because we've built up walls. We're, you know, a light hidden under a basket. We're not, you know, fighting back against the darkness, the light out there, shining it to the world. We can't expect them to come to us. We've got to shine our light so that they can see the gospel and see what we have. So how do you get involved? Well, you can start in your own house with family devotions and everyday opportunities. Um, there we Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. If we're not getting into the Word in our families, in our houses, we're only getting it on Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, how can we expect it to transform us if we're only getting exposed to it once, twice a week, right? So there, you can use everyday opportunities. That's what I was talking about. There's the verse in Deuteronomy where Moses is talking to parents. And he says, uh, teach your children, talking with them when you're sitting down, when you rise up, when you're walking on the way. Just take everyday opportunities to change them into conversations about what does the Bible say about the situation we were just in? When that person just yelled at me for whatever reason, how did I respond? And this is why, you know, you can take those. And if you're walking with your children, with your grandchildren, with teenagers in our church that you're just hanging out with, taking those opportunities to disciple them and, and explain what God wants us to do and how He wants us to live. You can become a youth leader. I already mentioned this, but... Again, it's the intergenerational thing. They need to learn from anybody that has more experience, right? Any Christian in the church that can teach them and train them and, and disciple them and mentor them and walk with them through life. Um, or you can find someone and take them under your wing, um, which again, I don't want to steal Jeremy's thunder, but um, that's a big, big thing that we want people to do is just take somebody on your, under your wing, a teenager, a kid, and, and help them, Right? So youth ministry is important, right? We feed the 5,000. We go to the other side of the lake. 
And then we teach them how to be insulated but not isolated from the world. And we need to engage them in their culture. Here, Jack Orson, the founder of Word of Life Fellowship, this is the, the big you know, quote from him. Um, it's the responsibility of each generation to reach their generation for Christ. And here's the thing, is that if we are going to reach this next generation, okay, Gen X, that's our teenagers, our children, we're going to reach them. It's not going to be us, the adults, reaching out and sharing the gospel. And, you know, people will get saved that way and we'll mentor them. It's going to be great, right? But if we're really going to see a revival starting in this next generation, Gen X, it's going to be by us engaging our kids and teenagers teaching them to be insulated, but not isolated, and engaging the culture with them. They can engage their own culture. Because even somebody, you know, I'm only 26, right? But there's times when kids and teenagers look at me and they're like, you're old, you don't understand, right? But they're going to listen to somebody who's their own age, living it out day in and day out, sharing the gospel, and taking those feeding the 5,000 moments, meeting needs, and engaging their own culture. That is how... Revival will start in America is with us engaging our kids in the culture so that they can go out and share the gospel because it's the responsibility of each generation to reach their generation for Christ. So that's what we can do, and you can be a part of it. Um, But we need to be equipping our teenagers, helping them, and you can be a part of that. You can help us with the feeding of the 5,000 events. You can help us take them from that to the other side of the lake and then help insulate them but not isolate them from the world so that they are prepared to engage their culture. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word, for the opportunity to just do ministry and to see the the chances that we have to feed the 5,000, the chances we have to take those new believers and take them to the other side of the lake and share the gospel with them more clearly and to disciple them, teach them doctrine. I just thank you for the teenagers and the children that we have in this church uh, the, the love that they have for you and the, the passion for ministry that I've already seen just in one year, getting to know them and, and serving alongside them. God, I just pray that uh, you would move this church as we uh, reach out into our community. We would see kids and teens come to know you and be discipled and grow and to be engaged in ministry, reaching their generation for the gospel. We pray all this in your name. Amen.